Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. This is a different episode format than regular listeners will be used to. Uh, Here I'll be chatting with two filmmakers in separate interviews that were originally recorded for my radio spot on the Community Radio Network. The first interview is with Christine Luby to discuss her new young adult coming-of-age adventure film The Curious Case of Dolphin Bay. An accomplished assistant director with 15 years of experience in film and television, Christine graduated to directing in 2020 with her debut feature film This Little Love of Mine, the first Australian feature to commence production during the global COVID-19 pandemic. Christine's AD credits include blockbusters such as The Wolverine, Peter Rabbit and Aquaman, and beloved Australian television shows such as Top of the Lake, China Girl, Love Child and A Place to Call Home. Now based in Brisbane, her latest film The Curious Case of Dolphin Bay premiered at the Gold Coast Film Festival in April 2020 and is scheduled for release on September 22. In The Curious Case of Dolphin Bay, new friendships are formed and old friendships tested when a group of aspiring teen marine biologists investigate the possibly paranormal secrets surrounding Dolphin Bay and are pulled into a dangerous fight to save the reef. Following my chat with Christine, I'll be speaking with filmmaker Maya Newell to discuss her new film, The Dream Life of Georgie Stone, so stick around for that. Anyway, enjoy. Today's the day. What brings you to Dolphin Bay? I'm here for an internship with my best friend, Daniela. You must be Quinn. I am. This place is amazing. (laughs) Hi, Quinn. Quinn, this is Jennifer. She's my best friend from my new school. Oh. Theodore Wellington. At your service. I'm Quinn. So Dolphin Bay Reef, the very backbone of the marine ecosystem, it's in grave danger. Who's Eyebrows McGee? Oh, that's Mr. Everly Fallow. Some say you can see his ghost wandering around Dolphin Bay, searching for a treasure he'll never find. My gut says we're not alone. The spirit, please announce yourself. Treasure hunt sounds like a very worthy distraction. I'm thrilled to hear you say that, Quinn. I saw. Um, that was a lizard. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's going to destroy the reef. This is real, Quinn. Do you believe? I don't believe in ghosts. This place is finally starting to feel like home. So why can't you just be happy for me? So let me tell you what it feels like. I love where this is going. Let's do this. Give me great Exciting, isn't it? <laughs> so the legend is true. My hypothesis is that there's more to it. We must go on because we can't go back. Let's have ourselves an adventure. Christine, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to have you with us to talk about this terrific film. Great to be here. 
I watched the curious case of Dolphin Bay last night with my eight-year-old son and my six-year-old daughter. They both loved it, which is a great compliment for your team. Your last film was uh, This Little Love of Mine, which was aimed at a much older audience, uh, while this mm-hmm. film is aimed at a young adult market. Do you approach a film differently as a director when jumping between the two markets? Well, luckily I had some practice on Dive Club, which was a tween teen series. So I had just come off doing three episodes of that. And then I actually did another feature since then. So I've had two two more goes um, before I got to this one. So um, do I approach it differently? I mean, not really. I just, I try to tell a great story and and kind of lean into my characters and follow them on their journey. Um I will say that I found it very, very freeing to work with such a young cast. Um, I felt personally sort of less pressure to be, you know, have always have the right answers. And I, I involved them and we tried things and we played around and um, got to know each other really well. And um, I actually felt it was a lot less pressure um, and they were just so sort of accepting of me and willing to try new things. Uh, That's very interesting because uh, you have been gifted this incredible cast of young actors here, Uh, Isabella Rose, Jaden McGinley and uh, Allegra Teo, who's from Perth. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit more about working uh, with such a talented group of of young actors who are just starting out in, in their career. Yeah, so much fun. I mean, Isabella Rose is such a gas. She um, she came over from the States and had to quarantine in Perth for two weeks. And then, um, you know, we were Zooming and, and touching base. And then she gets to Brisbane. And like the next day, I'm like, great. So we're going to go to SeaWorld and go dive with some sharks. And she's like, OK. <laughs> and just we got in the water and did it. And we were both a little nervous. Um, she was really um, keen to do her own sort of um, snorkeling sequences. So we had a, a practice at SeaWorld. Um, yeah, she's she's the hardest working girl in the business, I swear. She read the script every day. She was so prepared. And um, she went an enormous way in terms of uh, setting the tone on set. You know, she was so professional. And even though she was the youngest one, um, just positive and and engaging and so professional like just on it um and then Jaden McGinley I mean my goodness he's you know everyone that watches the film is like okay he's going places (laughs) and I couldn't agree more he's just amazing um you know it's just perfect for Teddy in every way um and then Ella Proberts Allegra Teo I mean the four of them just had so much fun um they were just you know we didn't really rehearse we just did um icebreaker games and got to know each other and had fun in pre-production and I think that really shows on camera yes yeah it really does it really does they they, they definitely look like they're having a great time here um Eric yeah. Banner told me once that the best thing about working with young people is that uh, you know they have their skills haven't been overtaken by technique yet um, when it comes right. to acting, would, would you agree with that? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, uh, so the film shot in in Queensland, and it, it's quite an adventurous tale. And after watching mm. the film, I asked my kids if they had a question that they'd ask you. Uh, and Ollie, my eight year old, wanted to know if you did any of the snorkeling yourself, and and if you got involved in the underwater shoots in any way. Oh, bless. I certainly did. Yes, I'm quite hands on um, in that way. And I had gotten scuba certified as well, which I was hoping to use my skills on. But because uh, we were snorkeling, I didn't quite need to uh, pull out the old oxygen tank. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we both went in, we all went in the water. So Jaden and Isabella playing Quinn and Teddy and myself and the producer, Steve Jaggy, we all um, had a practice uh, run at SeaWorld where the snorkeling scenes were shot. 
Um, and then I was sort of half in the water. I had to be where I, we could safely put a monitor that was waterproof. Um, but yeah, I was certainly getting in there on the day when we shot it. So I like to be as involved as I can. And there's this great photo of, we did a little bit um, at um, Froggy Beach and Snapper Rocks and the Gold Coast. And there's this great photo of me like fully clothed and just soaked kind of in the water with them. <laughs> Isabella, cause she had to do some like walking sequence. And she was like, wow, you just really get right in there, don't you? I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> it's great to be involved. And I guess that encourages uh, the, the uh, cast to get involved as well. Exactly. Yes. Yes. You set a tone very much. So if you're kind of just high and dry at Video Village, you know, it's very hard for them. You just, yeah, you really set the tone by getting in there and, and not asking them to do anything that you wouldn't do sort of thing. Yes. Um, you mentioned Steve Jaggy there. He's a terrific guy. Mm -hmm. I've, I've uh, had the opportunity to meet him many times over, you know, the last decade or so. Uh, the film is a, a Steve Jaggy uh, company movie and th this company is pumping out film after film, uh, you know, especially recently. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I believe, I feel like Steve is such a valuable asset to this country's film industry with the amount of work that he's creating for cast and crew. Can you describe what it's like uh, to make a movie for this company, um, you know, considering your experience with it? Yeah, definitely. Um, the word I would use is empowering. So I was a first AD for 13 years and I had AD'd many of Steve's films in the past. I think we're up to 19 or 20 films together. We've done oh, a lot. Real. Yeah, And I got my chance to start directing on this little love of mine because um, when COVID hit, he was like, okay, you're up. You've got your chance. You know, he couldn't Im import um, directors from interstate. And he's like, all right, I know you've been wanting to do this. So, I mean, they're just enormous allies for um, female directors, female-led stories, gender parity on set, um, and really setting a new a new pace and a in a new way of of making films in Australia that hasn't historically been done. Yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, so many people are getting their first chances um on an SJC production, and yes. it's run at a professional level. You know, we don't mess around; we shoot things mostly in. 15 days yes but it immediately teaches people to to show up bring their a-game work really hard and then you know in a few years they'll either jump up well <laughs> in the current current climate in a few a few films they'll be jumping up um you know job levels or directing themselves um he's starting to do a shadowing program for um to to train new directors into the industry so it's just an enormous resource for Queensland and I'm really happy and proud to be a part of it yeah. Did you just uh, say that this film was shot in 15 days? Yes. Oh, unbelievable. I, I'm <laughs> always, I'm always, uh, uh, you know, I'm always staggered when I hear of, of films being shot in such a, a tight time frame. That's amazing. The, the quality of this film, you wouldn't think that it was shot in 15 days. Yeah, I mean, that's the trick of it. Um, and so, sometimes it's frustrating because I know uh, the film's been compared to things like Enola Holmes, The Door in the Lost City. And I'm like, OK, yeah, we had a little fraction, <laughs> you know, a few less resources than them. Yeah. So it's quite funny. But I'm I'm really proud of what we achieve in a short time frame. And still, you know, I, I push it as much as I can. I'm, I love my top shots, getting in the water, snorkeling. I mean, drone, like we really, we really go for it and, and maximize it. But, you know, it's amazing what you can get done people yes. go on to bigger sets to mars and they're like oh it's so boring it was three hours waiting for the you know stunt sequence to reset or the explosions like oh we feel like we get nothing done on the bigger shows <laughs> yes yes and uh you you have worked on movies like uh as an assistant director on movies like uh the wolverine uh peter rabbit and uh and aquaman uh how do the mm. I, I don't know if this might be a bit of a cliche question but how do the two compare 
Oh, it's a very different experience. I mean, I was, you know, kind of way down into the in the AD department on those shows. Um, they're fun. I, you know, they're really exciting to go to. I learned an enormous amount um, on the short time I, I did the bigger shows. But um, ultimately, you're a very small cog in this giant wheel. And while I think it's imperative to have that experience, I find the smaller shows much more satisfying. Yes. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I'd happily be directing a, <laughs> a big studio film, not a problem. But um, yeah, I think there's, you know, even as a first AD, I was so much more involved on the smaller films and I felt like a really important crew member there whereas on the big ones it's like yeah if I get sick I can be replaced in in two seconds you know um how important are coming uh, coming of age stories like this for you personally because I believe you've done quite a bit of traveling yourself Mm, yeah, I can't get enough of them, to be honest. Um, I, I just gobble them up. I mean, there's, I was I just binge watched um, Ginny and Georgia. I mean, there's just so many great ones out there. I'm always drawn to them because it's such a, a tricky part of childhood. And I think, you know, I, I just never get sick of viewing the different ways that people navigate them and the different challenges they're presented with. And when you kind of get through that period of your life alive and having learned something, I mean, there's just nothing more satisfying in the world to me. <laughs> that's a that's a terrific answer. Um, and uh, uh, earlier we were speaking of the uh, the Steve Jaggy company, and um, you, you know, this isn't taking anything away from the quality of these films, but they are quite often uh, quite formulaic. And uh, Steve mm-hmm. went off a few years ago, and he made this brilliant independent film called uh, Chocolate Oyster. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it was a terrific. I produced little... it. Oh, you produced <laughs> it, right? There you go. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize that, uh, that you produced that one. Um, is, oh. Do you have any plans to uh, to go out and make your own little independent films uh, coming up and and uh, and move away from this bigger stuff? Oh, look, it just depends, you know. I mean, I'm I'm a working director. I need to I need to make films that people want to watch. That ensures that I have a job. And um, yeah, you can call them formulaic, and you know, sure they are, but there's just enormous demand for them. And I think I'm very, the company and myself are very business minded. You know, you have to make films that will be sold. Otherwise you're just making a film for yourself. So yeah, I mean, we had a blast making Chocolate Oyster. What a brilliant film. Um, You know, we'd love to, yeah, I I would definitely love to make a film like that. I just watched um, Pretty Problems, which uh, was the winner at South by Southwest. And I thought, oh my gosh, they hold up in a house. It was great. So yes, love to Um, also need to work and, you know, make sure I get a paycheck so it's just a balance of that yes. so i'm open yeah writers come at me <laughs> um christine it's been fantastic chatting with you and uh, congratulations on this film once again thank you so much you're listening to the cinema australia podcast on apple podcasts soundcloud or cinemaaustralia.com.au thanks for sticking around My next interview is with filmmaker Maya Newell, who shares some great stories about the making of her brilliant new documentary, The Dream Life of Georgie Stone. Spanning 19 years, The Dream Life of Georgie Stone tells the story of Georgie, an Australian transgender teen, as she helps change laws, affirms her gender, finds her voice and emerges into adulthood. Maya is a director and impact producer, She directed the acclaimed feature In My Blood It Runs, made in collaboration with Closer Productions. That film was nominated for a Best Documentary and Best Cinematography Actor Award and won Best Director at the Australian Directors Guild Awards. 
Mayer's first feature documentary was Gaby Baby, which screened at festivals internationally and sparked a national conversation in Australia about the rights of children raised in LGBTQIA plus families. This was a fascinating chat, um, and I wish it could have gone longer. Anyway, enjoy. I keep thinking of the moments that have led me here. How do you feel about the treatment that you want to have? I feel good about that because then I won't grow into a boy or be myself. The winner of the Young People's Human Rights Medal for 2017 is Georgie Stone. My name is Georgie Stone. I'm 15 years old. For the last five years, court has played a big part in my family's life. To have a complete stranger having to make a decision about my body was really distressing and I felt really powerless. I want to make sure this doesn't play the same part in anyone else's life. We won! <laughs> Even though we have achieved a lot, we still need to make sure that we are protecting and looking after trans kids in Australia. I've always known Maya. I've always been a girl. Maya, thank you very much for joining us and uh, congratulations on this terrific film. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it today. Um, even though it's only a half hour insight into Georgie's journey, it packs a serious punch, this film. Uh, I watched mm-hmm. it last night and and I was completely floored by it. Um, your brilliantly crafted film is a roller coaster of emotions and I can't wait for everyone to see it when it lands on Netflix on uh, September 22. That That's the right release date, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's very exciting to be hitting Netflix worldwide and also a little bit daunting, I might add. Yes, yeah. Uh, how did you land, uh, how did it get landed on uh, Netflix? That's a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we've been uh, making this film over many, many years since Georgie was 14 and shot over um, the sort of six years, seven years that I knew have known Georgie. So we've started making it with absolutely no idea what kind of distribution platform it would come into or if indeed it would result in a film at the end of the day it was a really collaborative and kind of slow um sort of making process where we sort of felt our way through and navigated what we felt comfortable with um of course given the sensitive nature and the uh, focus on transgender bodies and lives uh, in the media so um, actually, we came to Netflix with a fine cut and, um, yeah, they were able to acknowledge all of the work that we'd done over many years and agree to a number of kind of duty of care um, requirements that we had for Georgie, mm. which was really um, heartwarming. And so, yeah, that's how we, we got here. That's terrific. And I don't want to take anything away from the quality of this film. It deserves to be on a major platform like Netflix, but it's about time Netflix pick up some more Australian content. Yeah, absolutely. Um, As you just mentioned there, this film has been uh, quite a few years in the making for you, uh, six years, I believe. Uh, Can you tell us how you became involved in the making of The Dream Life of Georgie Stone? Sure. Um, So I actually started filming it right after I finished releasing Gaby Baby, which was my first feature, which was about children being raised in same-sex LGBTIQ plus families like my own. And what I recognised 
in the release of that film when it was banned by the New South Wales government to be screened in schools and just a lot of the political work that we did alongside the release was that those children in that film shared their story and spoke, spoke truth to power. It was very amazing when you give agency to children and the platform um, on the issues where everyone always talks about them but no one's actually asking them what they think. Um, and I felt that trans and gender diverse and non-binary young people are also in that very similar position of rarely being given the opportunity to speak. And so I reached out to Georgie and her family and her mother, Beck, um, and asked if I could meet and, and get to know Georgie and, and a number of other kids, actually, that we were filming at the time. And, yeah, it's just this sort of slow, iterative process of getting to know one another and deciding what we wanted to make. I'd come in and have a cup of tea and talk about, you know, all of the beautiful things, the euphoria, the grief, the court bad battles, Georgie's crushes on boys, you know, everything in her life and trying to work out what story we wanted to tell. You've described uh, quite an epic uh, story there. I'm curious to know about this short <laughs> runtime, uh, the, the half-hour <laughs> runtime. Well, why wasn't it a feature? Um, look, I think that in a way, um, so a few reasons. Firstly, Georgie's parents had this amazing archive of uh, footage of Georgie and her twin brother Harry as they were growing up, which was, you know, Georgie twirling in a tutu across the lounge room at age five and then them getting their dog, Roxy, and then, you know, being interviewed for her dad in preparation for court when she was nine and then, you know, the, the twins just having, you know, this beautiful childhood and there was it was so rich, uh, this trove of beautiful home memories. Um, and we kind of decided to continue that creative um, kind of lead that was offered by this beautiful footage to make a film that um, flowed in and out of the memories that make Georgie or, you know, any person. And Georgie's had a lot of sort of in-depth um, stories made about her, like Australian story and kind of more current affairs-ish style things. So we both really wanted to make something that was non-linear and was aesthetically pleasing and poetic um, and just had all of these kind of random moments throughout a life, um, which is in some ways why it's a short film because uh, we were able to play with that form in a really beautiful way. Yeah. Um, the other nice thing to say is that as filmmakers we're always restricted by time limits mm. which is often um the limitations of uh streamers or of you know tv broadcasts or of you know how long someone will want to sit in a film in a, in a cinema um but netflix were very open with what the time of this film um should be or could be and so we were able to really sit in the edit with brian mason and the other producers and Georgie and just feel out what length this story felt like it needed to be. Mm. So I think it is every story kind of has a perfect length and it yes. just felt right. Brilliant. It plays so well. Um, I, I, I love how articulate Georgie is for someone um, so young. And uh, when Georgie spoke, I really I found myself really listening and, and hanging on to every word. Uh, can you tell us about Georgie as a person from your personal point of view? Um, well, I try not to talk too much ab about Georgie, but, you know, I think what I can say, it's been just such a 
beautiful journey of getting to know her mm. and her whole family over these years. And um, she's taught me a lot mm. about, you know, how we listen to people, accept people for who they are. Um, I think what's extraordinary is Georgie's kind of consistency of self and determination to, and how, you know, unfortunately, the you know, how she's had to fight to be that through court and access to gender affirming care um, in systems that are all sort of towering in against you, kind of like her whole childhood has been in siege. So she's a very incredible person, um, all of that time and that resilience. Um, yeah, that, yeah, those barriers has built an incredibly resilient, amazing human being. So I'm very grateful to have been able to collaborate with her over so many years. Oh, fantastic. Uh, uh, Georgie embodies leadership qualities uh, that transcend gender. I, I can see her uh, going quite far in whatever career she settles on. <laughs> would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and in actual fact, you know, the, the title of the film, The Dream Life of Georgie Stone, really mm-hmm. alludes to um, that just the, the future and being able to dream and, you know, what happens when we bring this beautiful strength-based, you know, trans euphoria and trans joy into uh, into a narrative um, that feels much more real and positive in the world. And Georgie really wanted the film to show trans young people that they have a future, that they can dream of those dream lives and they're beautiful and, you know, it all it does all sort of wash out in the end. I'm loving this film even more now hearing you speak about it. Um, <laughs> uh, Georgie has a very solid relationship with her mother, Rebecca. Uh, how important is it for someone in Georgie's situation or similar situations uh, to have that kind of support from their family and loved ones? It is absolutely critical to have your family support you and unfortunately I think it's about two-thirds of um, the the research as far as you know it's quite hard to capture reach research on this but about two-thirds of families are not supportive of their trans and gender diverse uh, children uh, or young people Um, and it just makes the world of difference um, on all of the scales and we've been working really Um, tightly with Transcend Australia, which is um, the family support group which was set up by Rebecca, um, I suppose, in in the love of Georgie and supporting her. And there was nothing that really existed um, 10 years ago when that was uh, set up. Mm. And I've just learned, yeah, so much about what community and acceptance and family can do. I think that's one thing that's really strong in the film and was, you know, one of Georgie and Beck's strong key messages throughout the making, you just see this whole family walk alongside and back and support their child. Mm-hmm. And even then the barriers and the lack of acceptance and the, um, you know, the personal challenges are so great and almost insurmountable, even for someone who has the best case scenario like Georgie. And that is, you know, a message for Australia and also, you know, the whole world to hear loud and clear. Mm-hmm. 
um, during the making of the film, you were in quite a unique situation where you were in the room prior to and following uh, Georgie's gender affirmation surgery. Uh, what were those moments like for you personally? And I ask because, you know, you were witnessing something coming to fruition that had been fought for both mentally and physically by so many people around the world for decades. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that, you know, Georgie um, surgery in the film is when Georgie's 18, so she's an adult and that's, mm-hmm. you know, available to adults anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those political fights were for, you know, hormone therapy and um, stage one and two, which are for adolescents. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, it was, it was, I was, it was very wonderful to be invited into that space and I an enormous amount of admiration for Georgie for having the courage to share that intensely personal moment in her life. Mm. Um, but it felt like just a becoming, like just felt like her family was there. It was, she was, you know, relaxed. She was really excited about the procedure. Obviously she was really um, nervous because as, as we all are with really full on things um, or anything medical that's happening to our bodies. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was just beautiful to see the love of that whole family coming around her um, and then for her to go off into her life and continue doing great things. Um, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, I have one final question here. Uh, in 2015, uh, your previous film, Gaby Baby, which you mentioned before, was banned by the New South Wales state government from being shown in schools. I, I just find this so hard to believe, uh, you know, being reminded of that. I know there's still a lot of work to be done, but how far has Australia come since that time? Um, look, it's really challenging to say because we, um, I think there's enormous um acceptance of uh, LGBTIQ community in schools. Mm. Um, in some states, there's still a real lack of sex education um, that is permitted and, you know, the depth in which we go into in schools. So mm. it still really is a bit of a battleground, um, unfortunately. Um, but I do think that winning marriage equality um, and, you know, we definitely are seeing the the slow but sure um, rise of, you know, acceptance on um, the 26th of August. We had a screening of The Dream Life of Georgie Stone for Wear It Purple Day, uh, which was so beautiful to sit in the cinema with all under 25s um, who were just loud and expressive and and proud of who they are watching um, this film and Wear It Purple Day was so, so small back when we were releasing Gaby Baby. It was actually the organisation that started all of the, um, the you know, bans and controversies because we decided to screen the film on Wear at Purple Day in schools across the country. Um, but, yeah, I really I felt there'd been a shift and a change being in that room um, with all of those teenagers. And, yeah, it just brings... Yeah, it warms my heart to see that we, you know, things are getting better and that young queer people in school are strongly receiving the message that life is okay on the outside. Mm, wonderful, wonderful. Um, Maya, it's a very short time to, to try to capture all of these stories, but uh, thank you for sharing <laughs> them with us and uh, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.